we we did it. We forgot to send him headphones, Star. And this is this. He said he had headphones. I asked him, Josh. I asked him. We're trying to like get Ben to part with his AirPods, and it's like pulling teeth, man. It's like Steve Jobs and the dude had triplets, and they built an app. This is Founder Quest. Can you can you hear us? Kinda. Yeah. Well, the AirPods might give you a little bit of a delay. I could imagine that would be like this KVM. Um, the video part worked, uh, even though the keyboard and mouse didn't work. But it, uh, I totally forgot that this monitor can't do 60 hertz over HDMI because mm -hmm. that makes sense. What was like the refresh rate on the original, uh, like the NES, NES games and stuff? Oh, the, the, it's super good because it's right? uh, it's a CRT. Yeah, um, it's actually. It's just whatever the the um, the refresh rate is for your TV, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's baked into the NST, the the NTSC, mm -hmm. sort of standard, which by the way is freaking complicated. <laughs> like video output onto like like old school like NTSC like for CRT stuff is incredibly complicated, and I tried to understand it, and I pretty much just failed. <laughs> is is PAL any simpler? I mean, I don't think so. Because like you're, um, because it's all analog, right? You're controlling the signal that goes, this analog signal that goes out and directs this like electron beam, and yeah, uh, this it's it's just not this world of like pixels. So like TVs don't like they have phosphors, but they don't really have pixels like like computers have. Uh, th there's no like you know pixel at ten ten. So but fortunately, some some people who are smarter than I have when I was doing my emulator, they all. Uh, Basically, they had mapped out the different cycles of the PPU, the, which is uh, the NES's GPU, basically. The different clock cycles of the GPU each uh, correlate to a specific like pixel on your you know, screen. Mm -hmm. so, so I didn't have to actually... You don't, you, to do an emulator, you don't actually need to know the uh, you know, details of how TVs work and stuff and refresh rate and all that. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, so... The results for the my Twitter experiment yesterday uh, got a little better over time. So it seems that um, huh. Twitter's ad algorithm is like a self, it's like a self-learning algorithm. So it starts out like you tell it kind of who like the type of people you want it to target are, but then it optimizes itself over time as it actually starts to get clicks. Really? So if, if someone clicks, then it, I, I assume it picks people that are more similar to them or that it thinks are more similar to them. And um, yeah, so it started out um, when I had first run it for a few hours. Um, I had it was like it spent like ten bucks and got thirteen clicks, and but that's really bad. Like that's eighty six. It was like eighty six cents a click. By the what, end, what's of, a click though? What's a click? Um, a click like? is like no. So this was it was a um, it was a link whatever oh, okay. they call it, yeah. like a link promotion campaign. So it was, okay. there was one link in the tweet and the, the call to action was, or the result was to click that link. I thought this was your, I thought you were talking about your pun. Oh, you just, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that, that did terribly. Um, uh, I, although I, I did learn a lot about that was a follower campaign. So I learned, I think I learned a lot about follower campaigns too. I, I just was like using the wrong campaign too. Okay. But, um, also people don't really probably, care about puns in their advertised Twitter feed. Um, but it was a, it was a fun afternoon and I stand by it. Um, but yeah, by the end of this fall, by the end of this second experiment, which was like a more of a real experiment, um, 
I had brought the click down or the cost per click down to 46 cents. So we got uh, about 113 click throughs to founder oh, nice. quest to the episode. Nice. And uh, yeah, so very cool. At least now we know. And, and I don't know, like, I think I got the targeting pretty good, but I, it was my first try. So I'm sure we could optimize that a little bit. Um, maybe the content too. So if we want to buy clicks, we now know that they probably cost somewhere between like 25 and 50 cents. Awesome. I wonder how many of those people, uh, you know, subscribed or downloaded something. I don't know. I, I think that's one reason I'm, I'm, I'm wasn't quite convinced that it was the best idea to link to the, I linked to like an actual episode page. Cause I wanted to talk about the episode is like the reason you want, you get interested. Yeah. Um, but I think mm -hmm. if I did this again, I want to try like a dedicated, uh, landing page that's made for the campaign that has like an actual, um, like a real call to action, like subscribe. Yeah. Um, like an, like an intro, right. Like info, info about yeah. why yeah. you should, what, like, yeah, not, not just the transcript, which is basically what we have. Right. Um, yeah. You know, what yeah. would be awesome is if we could somehow get people like if we could send Apple users to just like subscribe and Apple, you know, podcasts. Yeah. or I guess people use different, you know, podcatchers. So yeah, that's the work, problem. But, yeah. Yeah. But, um, oh, I did, I did target only people on mobile though. I was smart enough to do that because, <laughs> because I think people like for a podcast, people are going to subscribe on mobile pretty much exclusively. So it's like, Oh, you totally. Don't need, you don't want to target. You know, what would be pretty easy to do is to send them to a landing page and on the landing page, it detects, you know, if they're in Apple or whatever, and then just displays the correct. Uh, yeah. That could be cool. Yeah. Or did, yeah. Like maybe pre-selects the link or something. Yeah. 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 I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could just, you could just hide the, the ones that aren't yeah. Yeah. right. And, and I wonder if, uh, I wonder if, on like, cause I use, um, I, I use overcast for my podcast okay. and I wonder if, you know, overcast has some code that you could, you know, have a button to, to be like, you know, load an overcast. Yeah. I was looking at this, the analytics in transistor FM and, um, it said like 25, I think like 25% of our downloads are through the web. Um, really? which surprised me, but not too much because, um, because we've done a lot of promoting like my email and, um, yeah. and the ads and stuff like those, a lot of people might be, um, like, you know, just hitting the play button cause they make it so easy to play the podcast. Um, but I was surprised that, uh, the next 25% of users were overcast. Like that was the next like large chunk of plays. Um, so apparently wow. everyone is using overcast and I'd never heard about it. Or so. I, or I, I'm like one <laughs> or, of our subscribers or star. Yeah. So, or stars just like listening on, on repeat. <laughs> yeah. Overcast okay. it is. Yeah. They have their own directory and everything. Yeah, and, wow, okay. Yeah. 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 I guess I just, I don't know. I just like always use the podcast app just cause it's default, I guess. Yeah. I guess if you're fine with a default experience, Josh, I guess that's a fine. Default, <laughs> a default podcast listening experience. Some of us experience. demand a more premium experience <laughs> though. Yeah. You, you know, you know, uh, something that occurred to me with all this Twitter promotion and, and this work that you've been doing over the past couple of days is that we now have our second product. Like I didn't realize this until this morning. Maybe I'm late to the game here, but Founder Quest. Oh my is god, you're right. <laughs> Only we don't make yeah. any money from it. It just costs us money. <laughs> well, you know, hopefully, like our, it's, <clears throat> hopefully it's, it's like awareness a, in lead gen. Yeah, matter, right. No, I have the same idea. Like, I mean, so content is 
infinitely easier to promote online than than a SaaS. So that's yes. the thing I yeah. love about FounderQuest and I love about if we do any other kind of content related things is that like, especially if they're standalone, like we can take those and treat them as, as like, in, like products within Honey Badger and have like a marketing, you know, playbook for them basically. Um, cause I'm, I'm pretty convinced that I can, I can generate traffic to, to the podcast. Um, now I think, uh, seems like people like it enough and, and it's easy to promote, um, via ads and stuff. So yeah, it's really just depends on how much we actually want to, you know, throw into it. That's really cool. Personally, I think I, I'm a little bit more comfortable, um, uh, promoting the podcast, like from my personal, like Twitter account and stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, I can promote blog posts and stuff about Honey Badger, but but I'm not gonna just day after day just be like, "Hey, everybody, sign up for Honey Badger!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because we're actually talking about stuff. I know. I <laughs> so know. It's like if there's actual new things to talk about that that relate to like the actual thing that you're promoting. So it makes it a little easier versus like just being a broken yeah. record. <laughs> so have you guys heard about the recent uh, NPM layoffs and all that? Have you been following the gossip? Not, not a ton. Like I've seen, I've kind of seen, I've been exposed to it mostly through your tweets <laughs> to be honest, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I mean like I've, I've read a little bit about it and it seems pretty shitty to be honest. Um, but I don't know all the details. Yeah. So let me tell you, um, basically, so NPM, unlike most, uh, package managers, like NPM is the package manager for, um, for node, right? Just like um, mm-hmm. Ruby Gems, the package manager for Ruby. Um, uh, uh, Hex is a package manager for for uh, Elixir. And uh, but unlike you know these other these other entities, NPM is a for profit startup. Or it's not NPM, but uh, what I, I don't know. I don't. There's some entity, the entity that runs the main packager, like repo thing where everybody goes and grabs right. their packages from is a for-profit startup. So recently, I guess what happened is uh, they had new management come in, a new manager with a new focus on, um, you know, making more money. They're going to, um, they're going to turn things around. I don't know. And so as part of this, they decided that they needed to shake up the team. And so they did a bunch of layoffs. I don't think the number of layoffs they number of layoffs they did was super high, but the way they mm-hmm. went about them was super, super shitty, right? Um, they laid off their... Uh, I think they laid off their CTO via a text message. <laughs> wow. Like, yeah. At least it wasn't a, like a tweet from the, from the company account. Like, <laughs> right, right, no. I, was, I was about to say, that's, that's totally Trump's playbook right there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, they laid off uh, this one developer I, I, I was following. They laid him off after like two days after he had been hired, they mm-hmm. laid off um, one person like days before their options were about to vest. I saw uh, that one. That one was, yeah, that's, that sucks. And so it's just this whole, uh, this whole sort of sleazy stew of grossness. And NPM isn't the only people that have, have, uh, you know, had some issues lately. Like uh, a couple months ago, Travis CI was acquired by a private equity firm, right? And private mm-hmm. equity firms, what they do is they go in, they see a company that is, uh, you know, they've, they've raised money, but they're not making quite enough money to uh, sustain themselves at, at the levels they've been um, spending money at. And so they, they buy the company, they do a bunch of, uh, you know, quote unquote, like renovations, they quote unquote, make it better, which basically means firing people. And then, yeah, um, yeah and, and so then everybody from Travis got fired pretty much. I guess some people are still there. 
And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then there was like a recent outage of it and nobody was able to respond to it because they had fired everybody who knew how to, to res- respond to outages. So it's just this whole shit show. I, I think it's obvious to me, like the main culprit here is this VC model of funding that we have as an industry. And I thought, so it, I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about um, sort of VC funding versus bootstrap funding. I like it. That was a really good intro, by the way, Star. Thank you. Thank you. I, I just <laughs> got a, more and more <laughs> animated as I got more and more pissed off. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I like, I like, like bad Star. <laughs> yeah. Preach it, brother. Head over the bridge. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think the other, one of the other, uh, uh, what did you what did you call them like renovations or improvements that that the private equity firms like to do at least my favorite is just um and it seems the most natural is just raise pricing like that makes everything better too um if you got some problems right and, you know it's not just limited to the uh, technology world of course right private equity firms you know operate in all kinds of industries and i think one of the big one headlines from recent history was toys r us right the firm came in Roll up the assets, got a bunch of debt to fund that purchase, and then Toys R Us went under when they couldn't serve as a debt. So, uh, you know, that can be a pretty, pretty bad end to a business. Like we're talking now about sort of the the end game, like what what uh, happens to these companies when everything goes wrong. But maybe we should talk a, bit, a little bit about the lead up. Like, what leads these companies? Like, what is the path on which these companies are that that leads them off of this cliff? Like, like so many lemmings. Lemmings don't really do that, by the way, though. Uh, it's, it's a myth. You received like a, a bunch of lemmings. No, it was a big, it was a big scandal. Yeah. Disney made a documentary in, I think, the 50s. And um, to make it more interesting, because it was about lemmings. And uh-huh. like, I guess the business people were like, lemmings are boring. And so they made up this thing where they um, used movie magic to make it look like they were all jumping off of a cliff. <laughs> And that's where the thing that lemmings like jump off cliffs do. But anyway, yeah. So these companies are like <laughs> lemmings. Uh, they're being sort of driven off the cliff. Wait, wait. Do you remember that lemmings video? I game? do. I do. I never. Oh, I never played so awesome. it. I remember the box art though. When, when it came out, I was still like rocking a like Apple II. Like I didn't have the hardware to run that that beast. You could only handle like your Apple II could only handle like one lemming. <laughs> Yeah. So let's think back, boys, um, back to 2011, 2012. Um, we're just a bunch of baby badgers. We were thinking, you know, how nice it'd be to, to start this little uh, company of ours. And so we had this choice. And I remember we, we talked about it and discussed it and thought about it a lot. So the choice is, do you um, go the VC route? Do you raise funding or do you um, keep it kind of all in the family, sort of bootstrap it, you know? And what, like, what are the trade-offs involved in, involved in that? And I think, obviously, you know, these companies that, like, you know, NPM and Travis and stuff, like, they went the funding route, as do sort of all of the big successful companies. Um, whereas we chose the sort of keep it in the family bootstrap route. So, what do you guys think are um, like what? What what are the main uh, sort of features that that you might keep in mind when you're um, when you're making that like if we had to make this decision again like what sort of things would you be thinking about? I think uh, one of the key things is like how big is your market and uh, how much money do you need to address that market adequately? Like in our case, we looked at yeah, this is an opportunity to take some funding for this kind of startup because we felt like the market was big enough to support that. But uh, I think one of the factors to consider is like, you're going to be getting a big chunk of money and what are you going to do with that money? 
you're going to go and, and do some sales or some marketing with it. And uh, you need to have a market to address to actually use that money for that marketing or that sales effort, right? So I think that's question number one is like, what kind of market are you going after? And uh, does it respond well to having a you know boatload of cash to go after it? Yeah. I think that was something that we were seriously doubting too. Like we were seriously doubting whether or not our market was um, big enough to support this model. Right. And many of our competitors went ahead and raised funding and they they have done very well. Uh, many of them are like bigger than us. And that's fine. You know, more power to them. But I think this interesting thing is happening where a lot of our competitors now are kind of being forced, I assume, to almost pivot away from, you know, error monitoring, error tracking, which is, you know, our bread and butter into this whole application performance metrics uh, space because that's where new relic is that's where you know the companies that make real money are um whereas mm -hmm. uh sort of individual error tracking like we do is i i'm wondering if maybe it was just a little bit too small of a, of a market for for the people what do you think yeah i wonder if uh if that might be the case you know century is definitely going to the APM thing, I haven't seen any any word from Rollbar that they're making any changes. But you could say that you know error tracking is a is a more of a feature than a product, right? And so if you if you look at it that way, and you can say, oh, I need a bigger product then to sell into the larger organizations to make those uh, revenues that I need to get to hap make the VCs happy with a revenue. Yeah, well, multiple. you also think about like we talked about the size of the market and markets are not usually unlimited in size. So, you know, we've all been at this for, for what, like 10 years now. I think we've been in it for, for seven, but like error tracking is a, as kind of a thing has been, you know, around for 10, 15 years. But, you know, I think there's a good chance that, you know, if you're VC funded and you've got these investors that are expecting co like constant returns, you're going to hit the, the top of that market um, eventually. And then they're going to want you to go somewhere like they They want you to keep growing. Even, like you still have to keep growing if you've hit the, you've completely consumed your market. Right? Yeah, exactly. Cause these people demand uh, just constant rocket ship growth. And some companies can do that. Um, like Google did that. Yeah. Like the, the total number of uh, the total number of applications out there that need uh, error monitoring is finite. And if that market is saturated, um, if you even if you like dominate that market, eventually it's that's not going to be good enough because you're going to plateau and you got to keep growing to keep those investors happy. Yeah, I think the the end point, the end game in that scenario, when you do get address as much of the market as you possibly can, and that growth stops is acquisition, right? The return comes from selling that company to a larger mm -hmm. company. So maybe the company gets sold to IBM or, or some deep pocketed technology company that could roll that feature or that product up into the, their offerings that they can then take to the rest of their customers. Yeah, that's Makes true. Sense. So what leverage do people, so what do you actually give up? Like what type of control do you give up when you take funding? Because just because somebody gives you some money, it doesn't mean they necessarily have control over your company. It seems like maybe over time, uh, investors can gain more. If a company isn't, if a company isn't just amazingly going like gangbusters, where it immediately um, generates all the capital it needs to expand. It seems like investors kind of over time get more and more control over what's over what's going on, right? Well, it's like the variation on the golden rule, right? He who has the gold make the rules. <laughs> if, if you have to keep going back to the well as a company, 
if you've taken money and you can't get to profitability and you can't get the growth that you need, and you have to go back to investors and say, hey, I need some more money. Well, you know, additional conditions may come into play. And that's really what it's all about. It's like, what, what terms, mm-hmm. right? Because if someone will give you a million bucks with no strings attached, hey, take it. Right? I know, right? Uh, can, you believe, can you believe the, <laughs> um, the, uh, the Jason Fried uh, thing from MicroConf, how Jeff Bezos... Uh, is a minority and Jeff Bezos is a minority investor in Basecamp. He has no control. He has no power. Um, he just gave him some money and they didn't even use it to expand the company. They just took it for themselves. <laughs> yeah. Taking, you, taking, <laughs> taking money off the table was, I think that the term he used, which I know, um, which like, I love. Yeah. yeah like, um, because yeah. there are so many people just wanting to do that with everybody's business. They just want to yeah. give you money to. <laughs> well, I think like the, the, the reason that they, that, um, you know, that he said that they took that money is one reason that I think is um, probably a good reason um, for, in some cases, taking like take money off the table, which means that they were, um, you know, they, they had this risk that they were putting all this time and effort into this company and they weren't quite sure they didn't know for sure if it was going to be like a huge success or if it was going to eventually go away. And since they weren't taking funding and looking for a big exit, um, taking this money and kind of just like putting into their savings account meant they were kind of getting some of the benefit up front of, um, having that success in case that, you know, something, you know, it didn't work out in the future. Oh yeah. It sounds great. Yeah. So if you're, if you're listening, Jeff, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. I'm just wondering, like, what's the payoff for Jeff? Like, why did he do this? Just did he because did he just want to be like one of the cool kids because like Rails was taking off at the time? Like what? Where, where's yeah. his payoff? I don't know. I don't I don't think that they uh, I don't think he Jason got that far because um, he gets, but, you know, he gets uh, his um, his distributions of the profit, of course. Yeah. But I can't even imagine that he even like it. Uh, I can't imagine he cares about that. It's, I, yeah, hmm. I don't know. He's an investor. So, you know, I guess every, every little bit counts. Yeah. But I guess what we're getting at is that most, uh, most investors want a little bit more control. They don't just want to give you a pile of money and have you uh, use it to, to buy yourself a sports car. So imagine you're a little uh, startup and you raise an angel round, right? Well, those, those angel investors aren't going to take 75% of your company, hopefully they'll, I don't know, take 10, 15%. And then, um, okay, that's fine. So then you need to, uh, grow. So you need some more money and you issue some more stock and you keep going back for more and more rounds. And over time, basically you sell off the company bit by bit to fund it. Um, uh, but that leaves the, the people who founded it with less and eventually you can get less, have less control and maybe even lose control of the company if you don't have uh, like a majority of the stock. Yeah, I think that's that's the key. And, and one of the talks we had at MicroConf talked about that. You know, Chris at Wistia talked about how they went into, they got the debt so they could buy out their investors. So they could have that 100% control. Again, I think the moral of the story is if you own the company and you're profitable, you can do whatever you want for as long as you want, mm-hmm. right? You've got infinite runway. The only problem is when those things aren't true. Right, we have to start giving up control to get the money because you're not profitable. And I think you know we decided from day one that we wanted to optimize for profitability so that we could be in control. Like that was yeah. our whole goal. What you said that uh, the like sales and marketing were were big would, are big factors when you are considering taking money in the beginning. Um, you know, you can do a lot more of them with with a lot more money. Um, but hiring is also a big deal, right? Or two, right? Like um, you know, 
I usually when I see, you know, companies starting out and they take a bunch, they get a bunch of, they get like a VC round or something. Um, and they just start hiring like crazy. Um, even, you know, ahead of like the actual, you know, they might not actually need all these people, but they're assuming that they will if they, if they're successful, which is they have to be successful. Um, and for us, that was, I don't, I, I, you know, I think we were all three developers and we were, you know, comfortable building. We didn't think we were going to need like 50 people right off the bat to, to build an error tracker. Um, and not to mention our whole model of like product development is kind of the opposite of that. We're, you know, lean and agile. So you can't really, it's harder to be agile when you have like, you know, 15 people sitting around on their hands looking for something to do. We obviously chose to go the, the bootstrap route. Um, we don't know three of us own the company completely. As a result of that, like what, what have we gotten from that? Like we, oh, well, okay. Let's, what have we lost from that? Let's be negative first. So first of all, um, we have given up some growth. You know, we're a smaller company. Yeah, potentially a lot of growth. I think too. Like, if we're being honest, like, I mean, we've seen the market is big. So, if we had had a ton of money in the beginning to to um, go after it, we'd probably be a lot bigger than we are now. We've had to keep things small intentionally, right? We had to. We we can't really do a ton of uh, big new projects and stuff. But what have we? Mm-hmm. What have been the the positive outcomes of this? Well, we get to determine what our workday is going to look like, right? We get to determine what our roadmap is going to look like. We, you know, we get to make all the choices because we're in 100% control. We're, we've chosen the king option over the be rich option. Just to round out the picture of funding, one other thing that we briefly touched on, but we haven't really talked about is this idea of debt. And I know that we all started out very sort of anti-debt because you get this idea of, well, I, th- I think all of us have been very scared of taking on like too much consumer debt in our lives. Personally, I've come around to the idea, even though we haven't taken on um, any uh, corporate debt, I'm much more sort of friendly to the idea than, than I used to be. Like if we had, like if we knew that if we ran, um, say, a certain Google ad campaign, like an AdWords ad campaign, and we were uh, getting, you know, 200% ROI on it, and we knew that we could scale it. We just needed uh, $50,000. Yeah, I'd be like all about that. Let's go borrow $50,000 from the bank. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. And especially in that case, like the results are kind of measurable and um, you can, you know, you can see the money come back um, progressively over time. Like I think that makes total sense. It's, it's a lot different from like just taking debt because you want something. <laughs> I know. I feel like this is a big step for us. <laughs> I feel like we're really uh, becoming more sophisticated, like yeah, on air. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I know. While people are listening, <laughs> yeah, I have. I've been very, of, you know, I've been very anti. I am very anti-consumer debt. Um, you know, regarding the debt question, you know, when we started out, we didn't want to do that. We didn't fund the startup with uh, credit cards, right? Uh, we funded it with our own sweat equity, uh, and going to a bank really would not have been an option because the the business had not existed. There was no, there were no revenues. There's no history. Now we're in a different place. Like a bank, I think would be happy to give us some cash because yeah, we do have revenues and unless, you know, an act of God happens, like the business isn't going, going away tomorrow, right? There'll be revenues tomorrow, just like there were yesterday. Right. So yeah, we're definitely in a, in a stronger position on, on that front. So yeah, I think taking on debt at this point is, is not that much of a risk. But we, since we have a business, like we could totally do like a bait and switch on them. We could. <laughs> Alex, I, I have always kind of wanted to start a food truck, so maybe we'll. There you go. Badger food truck. Well, what would we have? Like, 
I, I always, I want to start like an oatmeal because I, I really like oatmeal, but it's, it's usually boring. So like, like a, you know, it sounds artisan, kind of a, an artisan oatmeal truck. Okay. Oh, hear me out. Hear me out. It's, Sell me on this. I've got a name. It's called rolling oats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you'd have all kinds of like, you know, special, you know, you'd get to pick all your own toppings. Uh, yeah, it would be, it wouldn't be your regular, you know, your normal, uh, morning oatmeal star. One of the things, one of the things I thought was interesting, and this wasn't in our agenda, but just an aside, I can't not say it, was, you know, we, we had calls from investors in the early days of Honey Badger. Like, for some reason, when we started Honey Badger and Century was starting out and Rollbar was starting out about the same time, like, there was this, uh, uh, just this food, I don't know what you call it, but like, it, it, the sector was hot. Feeding frenzy. Right? Everyone was, yeah, feeding frenzy. That's good. That's what I was thinking. Like the investors were just pouring money into this space of development tools. Uh, it, it was, for some reason, it just it was really hot at that time, right? And so, just by being virtue, by the virtue of being in the space with a product at the time, we were interesting to investors. We never like sought any; they sought out us. And I got, I fielded these calls on a regular basis, and we always said, you know, well, tell me what. Tell me what you're going to offer. It doesn't sound that interesting. We want to do it our own. Thanks very much. And we'll circle back in a year because they always want to oh, circle totally. back in a year. So we got, I don't know, four years into it, I guess. And still getting the occasional call, but I had told people no enough times that they eventually just stopped calling. But I, I remember this one call in particular, like they did the same intro, like this is what we're about. We'd like to talk to you about Honey Badger and blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, how are you doing? Like, well, there's still three co-founders. <clears throat> We're profitable. We've been around for like five years now. And I remember this one guy just like, when he heard that, he's like, oh, well, then you don't need <laughs> us, right? <laughs> and, and, and it just felt like it really, at that point, is when the first time I felt like they're just preying on oh, the yeah. week, right? They're, they're, they're looking for people who are in distress or you know, have run out of money or are really up against the wall. And when they realize, you know what, you've been in business for five years and you're profitable, there's really nothing we have to offer you. You've figured it out, right? Basically. Yeah. And I just, that was, to me, that was like an eye-opening. Like once, once you get to the point where you're making money on a consistent basis and, and basically you've figured it out, although you never really do completely figure it out. But once you get to that point, like you don't need that anymore. You're, you're good to go. And if you can get to that point on your own, Boom, totally. And there's so many, man, there's so many sharks out there in the water, like looking for these distressed companies. Like I, I'm not yeah. going to say their name because I'm not sure if I would get sued because it's, you know, we had an NDA and stuff, but you know, we were um, pursued for acquisition by a, you know, fairly well-known uh, company in the developer tools sector. And it, it eventually turned out like they, um, uh, they were pursuing us as if we were this distressed company as opposed yeah. to a freaking like wonderful growing like fierce uh beautiful uh, kick ass boot kick ass like yeah. bootstrap company and yeah so and, and so it was like this weird disconnect because they were just like yeah we're going to uh, we're just going to cut all your users loose we don't we we just want yeah. your code base and we're like but we have like yeah. all this profit like what what are you even talking about yeah that should have been that should have been like a flag to us like i, I know because we're like how like what yeah how could this be true 
Um, it sounds too good to be true. I guess it was too good to be true, but it's like they didn't have a playbook for companies that actually had profit and customers. Like who could imagine, you know, can you imagine that the, like, yeah, they just didn't know what to do with it. So that was kind of a funny, it was weird because like they were having, they, we had these like discussions at one point, like we're like, like, okay, so like, what do we actually do with all of our, uh, you know, like actual revenue and, um, you know, cause it's not like it was not necessarily big enough to be super interesting to them, but it's like, you know, it's you, who throws revenue away. I mean, that's crazy. I know. And I mean, they, they're like their revenue, I think was like our revenue was like maybe a 10, like 10% of their revenue the previous year or something. Like it wasn't, it, it's not, not crazy bad. Right. Yeah, it might've been closer to 1%. One per, well, I said the previous year because they were on a growth trajectory then. <laughs> That's true. But still, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're 10xing Ben. Come on. <laughs> Every day. Yeah, so it's just such a weird environment. And also at Microconf there were all these investors just kind of like circling, mingling. You could tell who you could kind of spot them because they were dressed a little bit better than everybody else. Um they looked a little bit more expensive, they were a little bit more smooth talking. And just kind of mingling, you know, just just like you do, because they're just interested in the space. That's just they're just really <laughs> fascinated by people who make uh, these small companies and how they do it. It's just so so amazing to them. You know, you know, uh, funny you should say that there are some people who are you know just interested in the space. Well, you know, there are actually some investors who are private equity investors. I guess I should be clear who actually do run companies pretty well after they acquire them. Like there, there are those that acquire, roll up a number of SaaS or small e-commerce companies and, and purchase them from the creator or from the operator, whoever has started the business. Uh, because typically the answer, the reason is I just got kind of bored of the business or I got tired of running it or it's just not, you know, what I want to do now. And so they'll, they'll buy the business from the owner, the owner, has cash in hand and goes away happy and the acquirer just keeps running the business uh and that there are, there are a few of those at microconf as well and i've seen that uh, work out fine so i mean that's that's an option too like if if you're running at a revenue generating business and you're kind of just done then uh, you can sell it to one of these guys yeah, and i think it kind of for me it would depend on like how much revenue we're talking about because um I would, you know, I'm not going to throw away Honey Badger's revenue just because I'm bored. Like, I'll just find someone else to do my job <laughs> and go on vacation or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, I could see like, you know, if I had a side, like a side SaaS or something like a lot of people do and, and it's like not my main thing or, or maybe it is, but I'm just tired of it. And it's really, you know, it's a... Um, you know, it's a grind to get the growth to get it to where I want to go. Like that seems like it would be an attractive offer that could work out well. None of this stuff is absolute. And uh, I mean, honestly, I don't even know what I'm talking about, about a lot of this stuff. I'm just, you know, we, we've been um, bootstrapped for so long that we've seen a lot of action around funding and around, um, you know, how this stuff plays out. But we, we don't really have the inside perspective of a lot of it. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point to make. Because like we made our decision based on our personal preferences. Like we didn't want to have a boss. We wanted to be in control. And so that's what we know. Like we don't, we have none of us have run VC yeah. back companies, right? We don't, we don't really know how the other half lives. We just know that that this worked for us for this time, for this product. Yeah, yeah. we're simple men, really. <laughs> we really are. <laughs> well, okay. Is there anything else you guys would like to talk about? 
All right. Well, I'll talk to you guys later and I'll see you in Slack and have a good one. ThunderQuest is a weekly podcast by the founders of Honey Badger. Zero instrumentation, 360-degree coverage of errors, outages, and service degradations for your web apps. If you have a web app, you need it. Available at honeybadger.io. Want more from the founders? Go to founderquestpodcast.com. That's one word. You can access our huge back catalog or sign up for our newsletter to get exclusive VIP content. FounderQuest is available on iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of fine podcasts. We'll see you next week.